The number of responsibilities and opportunities involved when starting a business or becoming a leader within an organization can overwhelm the best of us. It certainly overwhelmed David and Matthew. Join the two hosts as they interview successful leaders about their journey to leadership, including victories, failures, and realizations. This is Like It's Your Job, a podcast from TSG Publishing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Like It's Your Job, a business-focused podcast for business leaders, entrepreneurs, founders, and people who aspire to those roles. I'm Matt Shields, one of your hosts. I'm David Shields, your other host. And if you like this content, please follow us on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You'll automatically be notified every time a new episode comes out. So, David, tell me a little bit about uh, a little bit about why you wanted to start this podcast. A little bit about your background. Well, I've spent the last ten years at Shields Legal Group, representing entrepreneurs, business owners, and uh, those aspiring to be both. Um, mostly in the legal field, handling corporate transactions, real estate transactions, and complex commercial litigation. Pretty much all of the challenges and opportunities with growing and exiting companies on the legal side. We're not very good at uh, staying in our lane, so we tend to help out in areas that are beyond traditional legal assistance. And that really allows you to get down and dirty and in the weeds of what it's like to grow and exit a company. And now that uh, the three of us have kind of joined forces in similar manners, I thought it was time for, uh, for us to share some of that experience. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. What would you say is, you know, stay in high level, what would you say is a good example of, uh, you know, of a client relationship you have that that may, uh, you know, be informative for our audience? A great example is a business owner that started a business and has, you know, grown it to uh, maybe, you know, one to 10 or 10 to 20 million in revenue. And they know they have to take that next step, but don't know what that looks like. So maybe they've hired an outside professional as in an operations role or a finance role that can help them grow, but they need to start uh, upgrading their team a little bit. And we're part of that story since we've been part of multiple success stories um, of growing and exiting companies in the last 10 to 20 years. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that, and that jives well, as you know, with my background. Uh, I started my, my career in Mark Cuban's family office, working in his angel investment and venture capital portfolio. You know, about half of my year was doing due diligence and, and talking with the founders that appeared on Shark Tank, which is, I think, what Mark is, is most known for. And, you know, working with those founders, taking them oftentimes from, you know, sometimes pre-revenue to twenty, thirty, you know, thousand dollars a month in, in annual revenue to those, you know, kind of larger companies that were already profitable, but needed new distribution channels for their products, be it Bed Bath and Beyond or an e-commerce site, or you know, there's there's hundreds of different ways to to distribute your products. And you know, we we like I really loved working with those founders, with those business leaders to you know establish a, a new marketplace for their products and and grow their business. I then moved to Deloitte's management consulting practice, working with Fortune 100s, and I did that for about three years. And you know, I went from the smallest of the small to the the largest of the large. And I think my my one big takeaway from Deloitte is, um, as companies scale, 
the, there's two reasons why they need to organize more efficiently. One, the economies of scale are there, and you can spend a little bit more money on a technology solution or an additional hire or just a project manager that oversees multiple strategic initiatives that the business is running. And as they scale, those, those economies of scale allow them to, to do so. Additionally, it, it, you move from controlled chaos that often happens in these smaller businesses, especially the ones that are you know, only collecting $50,000 $50, a month in revenue, to uh, you know, a more structured program that has visibility all the way up to the top, you know, from the, the lowest of the low to the top. Makes a ton of sense. And I, I can see uh, you know, this has worked well over the last year, and there's definitely a lot of reasons why. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm excited to, to bring the skills that I learned from, from those two companies to our family office now, where we make direct investments in, in operating companies and provide strategic consulting engagements, you know, within our portfolio. And it ranges from, you know, aerospace distribution all the way to home service. Lots of fun, lots of new challenges to work on. No day is the same. I love it. Especially in the last year. Uh, with the number of challenges that um, our portfolio has had and those that we're close to have had, uh, it's definitely been <laughs> yeah. a learning lesson. That's exactly right. And, and you know, we, I think everybody in, in our network lost about four weeks to PPP, right? Just trying to understand what is going on with the Paycheck Protection Program. How do we apply? How do we apply? And, you know, how strong is my relationship with my bank and my bank officer? You know, a lot of the times these these smaller community lending institutions were the ones that really excelled in the Paycheck Protection Program. And uh, that was certainly not something that I had anticipated coming into 2020. That's right. And we spent, in addition to the PPP, a ton of time advising clients and entrepreneurs and business owners and friends on how to navigate the challenges of working from home and the lack of interaction and uh, uh payment terms for vendors and suppliers and what morale and employee engagement looks like in this time. It's just been a very interesting year. Yep. Well, there's been a, a fundamental shift in the way that work is going to get done for the next 10 years. And it was driven, or I should say accelerated, because I think these those trends were already underway, accelerated during coronavirus. That's right. Well, there's uh, no better time than to uh, introduce our guest today. With this being the first episode, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a great place to start, and that's always the beginning. So Matt and I have uh, asked our father, Jim Shields, founder of Shields Legal Group and CEO of the Shields Group, to join us to talk about uh, his business experience, his role, and how he's kind of come up. Jim is a serial entrepreneur, obviously somebody we grew up with, a strategic investor and an attorney with almost four decades of experience supporting closely held founder-led businesses, managing complex commercial business litigation, and representing financial institutions and capital intermediaries. We're going to be talking primarily about our Growth to Exit program this morning, but with that, I'll introduce Jim Shields. I am so thrilled to be here. Thanks for coming. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Thanks for coming. Absolutely. I mean, it's an honor for me to be here uh, on the first podcast. Well, there's there's no better way to, to kick off a podcast series with the origin story. And what I would like to do before we get into the brunt of the conversation is start with a recurring section that we are going to do with all of our guests in all future episodes. And that is take a quote provided by our guest before they come onto the show and discuss it, why it's important to them 
why they chose it, if they have any special connection to the, the author of the quote. And Jim, you chose do something great. Why, why did you choose that? Do something great really means do, which is take action, something which is important to you and great, which implies doing something that's important to others. By doing something great, by uh, almost by definition, the quote implies we have to do something great and commit passion to other people, make the world around us a better place. Um, it's been my experience through the years that if we focus inward, if we focus on ourselves, if we focus on only what we're doing, that um, we tend to be closed off to the world. So if we're going to do something great, we have to do something great with other people. We have to make the world around us a better place. That involves improving ourselves. It involves passion and commitment. It involves making ourselves better so that we can make the world around us better. Um, so I'm in the process of writing a book by the same name uh, so that we can distribute or, or uh, if you will, publish information to other people to help them do something great in their world. So it's, a, it's an impactful uh, phrase for me. And, and this also has, you know, a, a, a virtuous tone to it in the sense that I know our office focuses heavily in conscious capitalism and we're making a shift over to ESG investing so that, you know, we can we can deploy the resources of our office in, in you know, not only the most efficient way, but also in a way that uh, that really helps the world. And, and that, you know, aligns well with your quote. Well, it does. I mean, it's been my experience uh, at a very high level, uh, Matthew, that, you know, people tend to either focus on themselves or focus on others. Uh, there's givers and there's takers. And by doing something great, it's a, it is an inspirational or almost virtuous idea that uh, we succeed and thrive by helping other people first. Um, and so that's the outward looking uh, opportunity for us to grow uh, as a matter of service and helping other people. And we do strive in all of our companies to create a conscious capitalism environment and culture where everybody's helping each other. We're all stronger together and serving other people, uh, whether it's good customer service or whether it's um, just wanting to help the world improve, doing something great is a good inspirational way to accomplish that. Yeah, and that's something that we can, uh, I know that Matt and I have reflected on in our business careers, our personal careers. Uh, it's something that's that we've kind of grown up with. How do you take that quote and that um, community-based, that, that servant leadership um, into investing? And how, did that bring you into investing? And, and what, have, what have you taken back out from that? So great question. Um, you know, doing something great does imply helping other people uh, get better. And essence of investing is any investor wants to look for companies that are growing. So investing by definition means we want to age in a company and help it get better. So permeating a company, both culture, people, systems, processes, uh, uh, usually, if not always, makes the company better and helps it grow. So as a professional investor, helping companies grow uh, yields greater uh, value 
right? The, the companies make more money and therefore are worth more money. And that's part of the investment thesis. But I believe it has to ground with uh, starting with doing something great, which, as Matthew said, is the inspirational way to get companies uh, to work together as a team, create a service and, and culture driven environment so that their companies can grow. It's, it really is a fundamental way of uh, adding growth through an investment mentality. And what was the what was the inflection point? Right. How did you get started uh, with investing? Yeah, so years ago, uh, about 20 years ago, um, and we still, the law firm still represents this family. Um, uh, I was in a conversation with the patriarch of this family, and it's a very well-known uh, kind of a household name. And I just asked him, um, you know, how, do you, how did you make so much money? How did you have so much influence uh, in the state of Texas in your business? And he just looked at me and said two words. He said, own stuff. And I said, what does that mean, own stuff? And he said, if you want to have the ability to affect people's lives, if you want to have the ability to influence things, you have to own companies or you have to own assets, you have to own things. So he said, if you want to start helping people and creating a service mentality, he said, go buy a company. If you buy a company, then make it a great company. Employ people create a culture and an environment where people can thrive, set up systems and processes inside the company, not only to create value, but to create an environment where people can succeed. And so our alignment with success has itself created its own success. Well, and you've generated, as, as I know, working with you, you've generated a lot of expertise over the years, uh, not just in in how to efficiently operate companies, but how to get deals done. Whether you're closing a big uh, sales contract, or you know buying a, a piece of a business, or or doing some sort of carve out uh, merger or acquisition, you've um, you've really really uh, you know brought your expertise to the to the marketplace. But one thing I've noticed you're you're especially passionate about is you know, uh, helping current founders who have built a business over three or four decades, you know, love what they do, but now they have grandkids on the way or their spouse is sick or, you know, they're just ready to go sit on a beach for a year, right? So they, they're talking about how do I exit successfully and with confidence this, this family business that I have built for myself and, and for my family. Um, and I've noticed that, that you're especially passionate about having those conversations and just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about that. And, uh, and maybe a few examples would be, would be great. Yeah. So we started down this, uh, founder led, uh, family owned business path of helping them ha have a successful exit. You know, there were a couple of, couple of things that drove us to this, uh, Matthew drove me to this from a passion perspective. Um, we have dealt with so many families that have, they originated their company um, and they just worked. I mean, they just worked hard. Um, unless you own your own business, it's really hard to, it's difficult to imagine uh, this, you know, the sleepless nights. It's almost a 24 seven business. And so many of these founders, they just worked hard their, their entire life, putting their kids through school, building a business. And the business itself has become so much a part of the family. Everything in the in these families revolve around the business because 
you know, it provided income to buy the house and put the kids through school and put food on the table. But as important for a lot of these entrepreneurs uh, that run these family-owned businesses, it's their retirement. I mean, they don't work for big companies that have structured 401ks. I mean, if they don't have a successful exit for this company that they worked in for decades, they're in trouble from a financial standpoint, right, in their retirement. So we started down this path just because of a passion and a desire to help create a process and a system so that these founder-led leaders, and they are true leaders, these founder-led businesses and family-owned businesses could exit in a way that then creates their own legacy. Not only does it create enough financial uh, means for the founders to exit, but but, that becomes a legacy asset. You're just converting the value from a company to to uh, you know an, a cash, if you will, to an exit transaction, and that becomes their legacy. So um, you know that's been super important to us. We've had uh, several that that really come to mind. One, um, we helped somebody who uh, exit a company whose husband had recently uh, passed away. And this was uh, about five years ago, but she came to me within 10 days of her husband passing away, never worked in the business. The business had value. Everybody in the company, over 200 employees were very concerned about what was going to happen because the the founder CEO passed away and his wife was coming in. And so we really dug in. We helped her uh, restructure the capital, restructure the board put in new systems and processes. And she had a really, really nice exit that set up her, not only her family uh, and and her retirement, but her kids as well. Um, very rewarding. But we've had a number of those kinds of exits where um, the, the transition, not only into retirement for the founders, but the financial stability that it created for the family itself is uh, has been very rewarding. So we're super passionate about that. Yeah, and and there's millions of small businesses, right? And and millions of those small businesses are owned by, uh, you know, ba- the baby boomer generation who is you know approaching retirement age, and you know not not knocking on the business owners, but it's a different skill set to go and sell your company than it is to run your company. If you are the the owner of a manufacturing plant that makes textile materials. You're an expert in production and your supply chain and the KPIs that drive value and profitability for your business. Uh, But those are completely different when you begin to negotiate the structure of of an exit transaction that will ultimately allow you to retire. And, you know, I know for me, I, I get excited when I think about providing transparency to the to the process for these business owners in a way that allows them to have confidence going in to negotiate, you know, uh, deals with prospective buyers, be it PE or another family office or whoever it is. This this ability to provide people confidence and transparency to an otherwise opaque process uh, is is extremely valuable, and uh, it gets me out of bed every morning. I, I love doing it. Well, that, that's exactly right, Matthew, and. Part of the process that that we've developed over the years, 
because the skill set is so different than the the uh, skill set that the founders and these family businesses have, um, we take the approach that we have to evaluate and and help educate a seller to sell their company just like a buyer is going to evaluate it because there are professional buyers. I mean, there are people uh, that are inside companies and organizations whose sole job is to buy companies and they are experts at that. You know, I've been in the meetings uh, where the law firm has represented buyers and we'll meet with a seller uh, and a founder in a closely held company and we'll be walking out to our car and we'll talk in the parking lot, hey, that seller is so unprepared, we can knock down the value of the purchase price by X dollars because that seller doesn't know what they're doing. They don't know how to negotiate or there's some aspect of their business that is uh, that is so poorly uh, presented that we can reduce the price. I think that's how the the you know the concept of growth to exit came about, right? That's a I mean that's a real story. You were representing buyers and they were kind of joking about taking advantage of the seller and then this was born. Let's advise and provide and educate sellers who are otherwise unsure of the process so that they don't get taken advantage of in these in these transactions. Yeah, exactly right. There was one instance, Matthew, literally I was standing in the parking lot and buyers were laughing at this seller. And it was oh, man, so, that's terrible. Yeah, it was so offensive to me that I realized, you know, these sellers needed to professionalize the process of selling their company and they just simply needed help. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a matter of these sellers were bad people. It just was a matter of it was outside their skill set. And no different than anything else, um, you know, we wanted to maximize value for these sellers because of the legacy aspect for the family. Um, so that that's really how it was born. And one thing to to piggyback on that, um, you know, the law firm and in your career, you've represented companies large and small. And one of the advantages and one of the things that I've seen in working with you for the, almost 10 years now is no matter the size, you get the expertise that that you know several that uh, the expertise used by companies that have several hundred million in revenue, as well as maybe a few million in revenue. And is it is it right to say that uh, regardless of the size of the company, there are some key areas that lead to growth and value on the uh, in an exit. That's absolutely right. There are five key areas. And David, to your point, um, the, the, what is typical in an exit transaction is the sellers are obviously smaller usually than the buyers. And the buyers have already focused on these five key areas because they have, they're larger and they tend to be more institutional buyers. And so when they look at a seller, they want the seller to, to look and, and feel like uh, it's an organization and a company that the buyer, when they buy it, the amount of uh, effort that they have to do to uh, integrate that seller company into the buyer's organization, they want that time period and that effort to be as small as possible. So for sellers, we focus on the five key areas that our experience tells us buyers themselves want to focus on. So that when the seller sells, 
they can get the highest value that they can because their company is already ready to integrate into a buyer's organization. Those five areas that we tend to focus on, the first is uh, finance, accounting, and reporting. The second is uh, legal and corporate structure. The third, which is, uh, these are all important, but the third one is human capital, uh, the people inside the organization. The fourth is IT and IP, uh, intellectual property systems and processes. And then the fifth is uh, their sales and marketing efforts, um, how they generate revenue and what their sales uh, and marketing looks like inside the business. And when we organize those five areas into uh, discrete initiatives, uh, buyers will typically focus on uh, one or more of those areas. And we've had situations, David, where a, an individual buyer has a separate person inside the buyer's organization focus on each of those five areas. So when we can professionalize a seller so that they really, frankly, present well to a buyer, sellers always, always get more money for their company. Uh, we've been tracking this for a little while, and uh, we believe that the process yields 30 to 40, sometimes 50% higher exit value when we focus on this, because buyers will pay more money for a company that is well-prepared rather than uh, laughing at them in the parking lot and looking for ways to decrease the purchase price. And, and I love these five key areas because it standardizes the process for every prospective growth to exit company, for every prospective seller. The details underneath the five key areas may be different between companies. One company they may need a CFO, the other may need uh, a new CEO or a COO, you know, under the human capital bucket. They may need a different incentive plan. But the reality is when you come and apply this framework to prospective sellers, it not only educates them about what may need to be fixed within their business, but it allows it to be presentable to buyers in an organized and collective manner. It's what we used to call a Deloitte MECE, Mutually Exclusive, Collectively Exhaustive, M-E-C-E. And this is MECE, right? The entire business fits within these five key areas, and it provides a, a framework to examine the health and the, the organization of the business. Well, that's exactly right. And providing that framework on a consistent basis is obviously creates more value. Matthew, we've had several buyers of companies uh, founder-led, closely held businesses that we've helped sell through our growth to exit process. We've had several buyers come back to me and say, look, we're, we're professional buyers. You know, we bought a number of companies and this was the most well-prepared and presented companies, uh, company that we bought. Do you have any more? I mean, we've literally had buyers <laughs> ask us uh, if we have any more in the pipeline. And, and that's very gratifying because um, you know, buyers, if the integration period inside the, of a buyer's organization is shorter because a seller is well prepared on the exit, the buyer's going to pay more money for it, period. That's just the way the world works. They're typically happy to do so because there's less work on their end. It'll integrate more easily with their portfolio, right? Buyers don't they're not, you know, necessarily evil people. They just they want to pay the correct price for the business. And if you can do some upfront work implementing growth to exit strategies and make sure the business is as efficient as possible, 
then buyers want to pay more money for the quality asset that is your family business. Absolutely right. I mean, let's face it, uh, sellers can't sell a company without buyers. Um, we represent, uh, the law firm does as well, and the family office. I mean, we're buyers, if you will, and we represent buyers, so we understand both sides of a transaction uh, well. And buyers, no, they're not bad people at all. They just want to make sure that what they're buying is consistent, it's predictable, there's transparency, and that the buyers know after the transaction, they can take that company and go make money with it. And so part of the reason that we call the process growth to exit is the ability to demonstrate to buyers that after the transaction, the day a seller hands the keys over figuratively and says, okay, buyer, this company is yours now. It's no longer my company, it's yours. The day we do that, um, the buyer has to know that there's value there for them in the future. Um, and so the sellers have to grow into an exit. Yep, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we're going to move now to uh, our rapid fire question section. For those just listening in, this is the same five questions that we're going to ask all of our guests throughout this series, and they need to provide quick, easy answers to them. So I'll go ahead and get started. Jim, what is the one habit that most contributes to your success? Um, passion and commitment for excellence. If you had to have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, Thomas Edison, and Elon Musk. Oh, uh, uh, so two two dead and one alive. That's a, that's a good combo. If you had $1 million to invest anywhere, where would you put it? So I would do a startup, uh, an entrepreneurship incubator for young, uh, passionate uh, individuals that wanted to learn how to be entrepreneurs and own their own businesses. Top skill you look for in your team? Uh, service, the ability to serve and support others both inside and outside the organization. And what are your competitors' greatest opportunities? Um, competitors' greatest opportunities, I believe, is to focus on the people in the family businesses. Competitors tend to focus on process and not the people and forget that the people, that this is a legacy business and intensely personal. People are, people are the differentiator all the time. Well, thank you, everybody. We are uh, going to start winding up our podcast today. Uh, appreciate Jim being here. Always nice to speak with Matt. Um, Jim Shields, the founder of Shields Legal Group and CEO of the Shields Group, went through his uh, favorite quote, his thoughts about investing and service, um, went through the uh, five key areas of growth to exit, and his passion about helping entrepreneurs prepare for retirement. So thank you very much for the discussion this morning, Jim. Yes, thank you, Jim. Great to be here. Thank you. And if you like what you heard, visit growthtoexit.com and shieldslegal.com. Follow us on social media and also follow us on Spotify and Apple Music to get automatic updates when we release new episodes. And we're going to try to do these podcasts monthly. So join us next time. In the next episode, we'll be talking with Brian Hong, CEO and co-founder of Survivor. Join us next time. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day.